Welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is uh, episode 10. We're in episode 10, guys. We're in the double digits, finally. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, we'll go around the um, around the panel and uh, introduce ourselves. Um, I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen. Um, I run hagensdaily.wordpress.com, probably where you're viewing the podcast from. Um, I'm also the Subcon 3 on a bunch of forums like Nintendo Agent Claws. Um, I have an award-winning published gaming book called Hidden Treasures. It's on sale at lulu.com. Um, it's also on the right side of the page. I was able to add that there so you can support the, sh- the podcast and the blog. Um, I've also written for a few different gaming publications like Nintendo Force, Texel Nation, Retro Gaming Times Monthly. Um, and I'm currently working on a complete NES collector's book. Um, I'm, I'm almost in the editing phases of that book, so that one should be um, ready for purchasing. All right. All right. Good old Kyle Meister here. Uh, love doing my uh, no death runs, my high score runs, collector of all things retro and vintage, uh, anything video game related, figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. And we've got Kevin. All right, it's got Kevin Kill from uh, kvkbox.com. I run, and also a YouTube channel of the same name, kvkbox. Uh, lots of Let's Plays, Field Trips, Arcades, um, anything to do with retro gaming up to modern gaming, I'm all about it. So let's get started, guys. Yep, yep. All right, all right. so um, what we do um, over with the video game bullshit is we do some general bullshitting about stuff. We have some special guests sometimes. Um, we also do something called the bullshit homework. Um, basically, we go around, each person gets a choice of a game, um, and we spend a couple weeks playing and trying to master that game to the best of our abilities. Um, and basically what it does is it allows us to play some gems in gaming that we might not have necessarily gotten to. Um, we always go with the age-old saying that um, right now we used to... Um, we, we collect more than we play. Back in the day, we played more than we collect. So um, when we don't have a whole lot of time, we'd like to um, find ways to um, let us play and focus. Because we have such massive collections, it's, t- it's tough to focus, and this homework allows us to do that. Um, and today, um, our game is Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood for the PC Engine. Um, this game was uh, Kyle's pick. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll let Kyle roll out the um, the red carpet of Dracula's bloody tears and uh, continue and go on with the flow. All right. So uh, yeah, um, it was pretty much everything I expected and more because I had played about the first two levels a few years back, and I could tell immediately. You know, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> The controls are so smooth, and the graphics are so, like, crisp and colorful, and pretty much everything you'd expect from a PC Engine CD game. Now, um, that was the whole... I've been wanting to do this for a really long time and just jump right into it um, once once it was assigned and everything like that. So <laughs> that's, pre- that's pretty much what I did. I played it a little bit each day. Um, I actually went through the first five levels, the, the normal exit, and then I went back while the levels were still fresh in my head and um, found all the little secret exits and uh, started saving the maidens 
um, all the ones that I could up to that point. There's four maidens that were kidnapped from the town. Basically, Dracula comes back to uh, Algeba. It's like a town in Simon's Quest. Um, mm-hmm. And he like ransacks it and burns it down. And he steals four maidens. One is Maria, who actually becomes a playable character. One is Annette, who is um, Richter's fiance. And then you have um, this nun and this doctor's daughter. So they're just like two random other chicks. So that all adds to the 100% because there's 100% in this game, just like Symphony of the Night. Yeah, it counts the actual percentage um, because the game allows you to save. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so levels 2 through 5 have these alternate um, levels, basically, that are completely different, and then the bosses are different, too. But it's... And it's kind of weird because you can still fight the same bosses in both of the alternate levels sometimes if you take a different route. There's just so many different routes to go. Um, mm-hmm. that it adds to the replay value like, like crazy. Um, but yeah, at the very beginning, you start in the Simon's Quest type town, and uh, from from there, it's just all things great about Castlevania, you know. Um, yeah. So um, I pretty much played it for I'd say that whole two week period. I I finally got a hundred percent about I don't know three or four days ago. So I guess I played it for about a week and a half. Um, I never lost interest, and um, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll figure I'll add more in while you guys talk too. But that's just my general take oh. on it. You know, uh, pr- pretty much uh, as as good as it gets, and as amazing as I could have ever hoped, is what this game is. Since I'm such a Castlevania junkie, so. Um, that's just my initial Im- impression, and there's I could go on with this game for like years, which I'm sure we will. So, absolutely. <laughs> I guess I'll uh, I'll jump on to it. I got a bit of a same story, a little, little different. Um, I mean, the thing was is the the music in this game was mm. like the perfect tribute to the Castlevania series. Oh yeah, like like this was like a um a masterpiece of a, a score. For um for any video game, and like the perfect version for a Castlevania. Um, now I played the PC Engine version with the um full English audio dub patch installed onto it. So basically, what it allowed um is the PSP PlayStation Portable version had everything in English, and somebody t- ripped those MP3s off of it, and we were able to apply it to the ISO for the PC Engine version. So I was able to, you know, listen to all the little cutscenes in English and terrible acting, and it was pretty amazing. Um, my first thing that I experienced, though, is this might be the easiest linear Castlevania. And not necessarily easy, like, as um, difficulty, but it's because you have lawless controls combined with the ability to save and load saves, like, cleanly and quickly. Uh, you don't have to put in a password, you don't have to do any of that. It allows you to you start flawlessly, and it actually shows you your pro- your progress. Um, and it, it's a very generous game, honestly. Um, being able to have two characters was amazing. 
Um, it adds it adds a lot of variety. Um, you know, you had um Richter who was the classic Belmont, but you also had Maria who was a descendant of the Belmonts, and she uses animals as weapons. She can spam this dove attack where she shoots two into um to Richter's one whip. Um, and she has a double jump which allows you to like pretty much break a lot of sessions in the game. It's almost like the easy or like what I was calling it throughout the uh, the couple of weeks. I call it the fun mode. Because it was like you would take the difficulty of Castlevania and then say, all right, now I can double jump through some of these platforms. Now, do you, um, do you know if that her double jump is higher than Richter's double jump, which is basically a backflip, like a reverse double yeah. jump? Yeah, it's, it's higher than Richter's, and it's easier to pull off. Okay. You don't have to hold anything or do anything special. You just jump. Yeah. Um, there, there's tons of little control uh, tweaks that I liked with this game. Um, the fact that when you're, if you're holding up while you jump, you can latch around at the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's well, the super, super necessary. For or me. if you hold down, you fall through the stairs. Exactly, and it allows you to quickly move out of the way of enemies. So I was um, doing like backflips onto the stairs, jump yep. and get a candle and then fall through it. That's like mastery. Absolutely. Yeah. Holding the, holding, being able to hold the whip button and moonwalk. <laughs> that's fun as hell. Classic. Yeah, I mean, it also allows you to, you know, stay facing your enemy so that you don't have to wait for that, you know, eighth of a second to spin around. Yep. Uh, sliding mentality, that's awesome. It's great. Being able to slide as your, with the characters. Um, and, uh, the multiple paths, like you were saying, that's freaking amazing. It gives so much replayability to the game. Like, any normal Castlevania, if we would have done it for homework, I would have beat the game and been done with it. But this one, like, the fact that it gives you a percentage, and then when you go through it, you're like, man, I'm only at like 50%. What the hell? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It like, it like urges you to play more. And, you know, when I got to like 96% and I'm getting closer, I'm like, where the hell is the other 2%? And I'm, I realized I missed a maiden. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, there we go. Um, and I actually got the 100% last week. So this week I was able to move on and go through, um, and, compare the PSP version to the PC Engine version, which was cool. Um, you also, in the PC Engine version, though, you use the money that you collect to unlock tactics against the bosses, which is a really awesome little thing. So, like, instead of just going around and getting points, you actually can use the bags of money and then see, like, a boss battle, which was awesome, because, though, say you're stuck on somebody, you can actually grind some money, and, you know, if you don't have enough, and then buy that boss tactic and see how to beat it. So it's like that. That that also goes on to show how this might be one of the easier Castlevanias because it shows you how to beat some of the bosses if you need to. It's pretty awesome. Um, the Dracula battle was super easy. <laughs> it always is. Yeah, and I mean it was especially easy because the very beginning of Castlevania Symphony of the Night is this boss battle. So if you play Symphony of the Night or you're familiar with Symphony of the Night at all, this boss battle was just exactly what you see. Um, and it was almost like a letdown how easy the battle was, uh, comparatively, because you had some really difficult boss fights, um, throughout the game, like that gauntlet in world, s- in level six. Oh my god. <laughs> that was a character builder for me. That, that's where the game actually had some difficulty that was pretty brutal, I thought. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, that, that, the thing is, it's designed so well that once you get past the initial shock of the boss, and then you see his patterns, then you can beat him. So it sh- it shows that like yeah. if you practice, then you can eventually get it. Hell yeah, freaking amazing. Um, and then 
the um the PSP then, all right? So the second week I started playing the PSP version. Um, PSP version is way stiffer on controls. Like every time I picked up the PSP version, I had to like learn how to use the game again. And I was just on an emulator though on my TV, so I could have a big screen. Didn't want to play on the little PSP. It might be better controls on the actual handheld. Could be. I assume the emulator's good though. I don't know. Um, the cool thing was is that it has Symphony of the Night's cutscenes throughout the entire game. So at the beginning, you get to see Dracula go to the Castlevania II town and actually take the maidens. It shows a bunch of cool stuff, like That's amazing. It shows, yeah, it was, it was, it's outstanding. Um, you can unlock the full Rondo, original Rondo Blood, and Symphony of the Night, the full games, uh, in the in the actual game. Um, because this is like a a 3D remake in 2D is what this. You know, was real quick. Is. Um, actually, you said uh, slides. Yeah. Um, as far as when you were talking about the controls for the game, do you just mean? Oh, back when I was talking about Rondo. Yeah, Blood? did you just mean Maria? Oh well, Maria has that belly flop. Yeah, and then um, in the PS3. That's version, why I was going to ask you that because Maria was the first character ever to slide. They put the slide in Symphony of the Night for Richter. So uh, they must have yeah. kept it with the PSP. They, they so put that, it in that makes it a little PSP. easier. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it a little more, a little more playable. Gives it an extra, you know, control. We have one more um, power move. Absolutely. Um, now there's and <clears throat> instead of having a, um, they do have the unlock the tactics of the bosses in the PSP version. They also have a boss rush mode, which was amazing. So they have like. Three different types of boss rush modes, which applies to how you beat the game. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, also the Symphony of the Night version has more than the PlayStation version of Symphony of the Night where it adds Maria and, um, a few extra levels, like sections of the castle, um, that the Saturn version had. Um, the version of Maria though is different than the Saturn version, um, because the Saturn version of Symphony of the Night, Maria does a triple jump and shoots like fire. And, um, in the P, the PSP Symphony of the Night, um, she does only, she goes back to the double jump and she goes back to using the doves. Uh, this Maria, though, it's not like a little girl like in Rondo Blood, though. She's actually a teenager now or, you know, an, an adult, like 20 year old or something. So she's bigger sprite and everything. Um, okay. here was the really, really cool thing when it, when it started to, uh, to blow my mind here. All right. First of all, you get to level seven, all right? Um, mm-hmm. and obviously I didn't go back and do every path yet. I got to level seven. Um, I went and got you to, uh, save a net. You go in there and there's a harpy in there. Instead of a net. Interesting. <laughs> and then you, uh, you have to kill her. Um, and then you go all the way up to the top and you see a net sitting there. You're like, all right. So you have to fight, you know, shaft or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, and, and get her. And then you actually, a net turns into a, a vampire. You have to fight her. Whoa. And you have to kill him. Wow. And when is that? Over. Is that before? This is level seven. Before do you fight Dracula or after? Yeah, and then you go fight Dracula. You beat Dracula, um, just like in the PC version. But Shaft saves him. Whoa! And what after weird. you watch all the credits, it says it shows a picture of Shaft and says, "Find all the maidens and all the hidden paths to fight Ghost Shaft." No shit. That's awesome. Yeah. So they make you do it. They make you. 
And then, <laughs> so then I go back and I go back and start um, getting all the maidens. When you get um, one of the maidens, uh, I think it's Tara or the other chick, the, the nun. Uh-huh. One of them allows you to break these red walls that you see throughout the game. And another one allows you to break crystal walls. So it allows you to get certain spots. Well, it's totally different. And at level 5 hyphen, uh, which is the yeah. waterfall level. The secret level. There's a boss at the end of that. Oh, cool. <laughs> and after, after you beat all those giant freaking um, the armors, the, knights the, 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 that come out of the... The great armors. The great armors yeah. are amazing, dude. And and it's and in the PC Engine one, they like come out from the sides of the of the um the screen. On the PSP one, it's like the music changes. They come out from doors, and it's like oh. dramatic as hell, dude. It's so awesome. Yeah, because and um, then you go and after you beat them, it's not. It doesn't just send you to the next level. You fight this giant leviathan, and you like so the little leviathan comes out, and you're on these platforms. And you beat the Leviathan, and then you have to climb up on it to fight three more heads. Cool. <laughs> that battle was freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gotta throw right, right in here. The imagery of this game is just, like, me, man. Like, everything about this game is, like, perfect and exactly what I'm all about. Just gothic awesomeness. Yeah, I mean, this game has everything you could ever imagine with horror, like... Oh yeah, like you even have Frankenstein and the Mummy and like amazingness. Med- Medusa, like you know, it's got your uh, your dragons. bats, your your birds, yeah, your your dragons and your your dragon bones and you dark know. priests. Yeah, and big Minotaur. I mean, like everything. There, there's a ghost ship, and there's and like even a, after you beat some of the guys, they do like a horror scare at the end and try to kill you at their last stab. Yeah, that's another thing that reminded me of, like Splatterhouse. Absolutely. Cuz uh the sometimes you think boss fights over and like there's like a one last little like uh death cry or uh death so, rattle. So so continuing with the crazy ass freaking story. So I beat all the freaking extra levels, beat all the, the different paths. Um and got all the maidens. Um Beat the secret route to the secret route is freaking amazing. So you go through the ghost chat. You finally um to to get a net though the real way, you have to hit these little buttons. And there's one button behind a red wall. You hit it, and then you go. You get the key just like normal. And then you see her door. You actually continue up. And at the top of that level, at the top of the clock tower part, there's actually a crystal door, crystal wall. You hit that one, and you hit that button, and then another, and then the the ground blows up, and there's other entrance below that, and then you actually save a net. <laughs> it's like crazy Jeez. convoluted, man. Yeah, that's way different. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. Um, so then you get to the end of the level, you fight Ghost Shaft, just like you do in Rondo. Um, and the graphics are amazing in this game. Um, I have filters on the emulator and everything, so it's even more HD than it should be. So it looks freaking awesome. Um, now here is where my mind was blown. So you're fighting Dracula, right? Just like before, um, you beat his his second form, and he goes down and he powers up again. Mm. And Dracula sprouts these demonic wings, and he starts fighting you again. And this this form may have been one of the hardest battles that I've done in a Castlevania game. Whoa! There was like eight or nine different form patterns. <laughs> like this guy kicked my ass so many times. 
And this is one I highly recommend everybody listening and you too, Kyle and Kevin too up. Watch the YouTube battle of this one. Like it's it's freaking ridiculous, man. Is that the one I, where he's like really tall and has like a speedo on or something? Oh yeah, with the pillars. Yeah, no. the pillars. I think that's I think that's Dracula X for S N E S. Yeah, oh, no. mixed it up. Yeah, because no, that's different there's no, too. There's no speedos. In <laughs> well, the Super Nintendo. He 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 really is wearing speedos though. Yeah, <laughs> having his wet drink. <laughs> wet just, Dracula drink. But um, I just call it as I see it. <laughs> um. So this Dracula battle though was amazing. It was like one of the best payoffs though for going through and doing the hundred percent completion. Now the irony was, I still didn't complete it to hundred percent, Kyle. I'm only at sixty percent, sixty eight percent, or sixty nine percent. Jeez, and the the thing is though, like that's what I would expect from a final boss of that game. Yeah, Cause, like because like the, the boss rush is crazy, so it was kind of like a letdown when I beat Dracula like the second time I fought him. Yeah, and I I almost beat him the first time, but I did something really dumb, and I like you know when he's jumping, I didn't stay close enough, so he like I was like, oh okay, well whatever, I'll beat him next time. But that's what it should be like, super yeah, duper like, hard. It was super epic ridiculousness. Like, it actually made me utilize all my different skills. Like, you basically have to utilize the backflip with Richter. Like, there's no way to get past some of the stuff without the little extra height. Um, you can't spam shit with Maria. Like, you almost can't beat third Dracula with Maria. Because she only takes... The, the, the trade-off with all of her extra stuff is that she actually only can take, like, three hits or four hits max that she's dead. Like yeah, that, weak. yeah, she has like no hit points. So like fighting third Dracula with that, no, not gonna happen. Yeah, because I I thought it like okay, Maria's like the easy version, but the three hits makes it not as easy. So yeah, exactly. And it was it was freaking ridiculous, man. It was like it was awesome. I enjoyed the entire um, playthrough of the the PSP one. It's definitely worth getting if you're. You know, um, want to experience Rondo of Blood. So people that don't have access to the uh, the PC engine, this would be a great alternative. And it has the PC engine version on it. Um, PC engine version and Symphony of the Night are like hidden in secret spots in levels in the game. So that's hmm. pretty cool. It's like in a different world. Um, so I did actually play some um, Castlevania uh, Dracula X on Super Nintendo. It was nice. freaking terrible as shit fucking horrible game. Like, it's it's not, it doesn't even hold a candle to the freaking Rondo of Blood. Like, the, um, number one, you can only play as Richter, so there's only one facet to that. But the, um, there's like a little Mode 7 fire, which I thought was, I was like, well, that's fucking cool. A little mm-hmm. bit better than the, you know, the, the 8-bit, 16-bit style, um, that we had, um, for the Rondo. But once you get to, like, the next section, it's like generic, broken buildings. Whereas in Rondo of Blood, you had town from freaking Castlevania 2 that you went through. Yep, that was yep. amazing. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Up. And the way that it was redone, it looks exactly, but just, of course, 16 bit. Upgraded. Yeah. yeah. Was like, oh. it, it was awesome. It, it's it's what we call the, like, the, the Rondo's like the ultimate tribute to Castlevania. Yeah, yeah. It has all the best features of the enemies. Yeah, and like all the coolest enemies. To me, it's like a, a good filter. It, yeah. it, it filters in all the good stuff and like leaves most of the stuff that was like the whip upgrades. You don't have that anymore, so you start. Yeah. We start, you know. Now already. the one the one thing that I know you would like to talk about, Kyle, the um the 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 reason the the 
how they do the whip manipulation is standard Castlevania, and you can't, like, whip diagonally now. Yeah, it's great. And that's actually, we were talking before, I think we talked about it in uh, one of the bonus ones, um, that that's actually a good thing. Oh, hell yeah. Because it brings it back to its roots. Yep. And Castlevania 1 and 3 are, like, what it's all about when it comes to... Those are the, the first the two, like, experience. super, super important Castlevania games. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for those two games, you wouldn't have anything, like... Exactly. That's the thing. Freaking amazing games. Um, yeah, but that's the thing, man, is, like, I, I do think that this is by far an amazing gem of a game. Um, so, Kevin, what was uh, your experiences with old uh, Rondo Blood? Um, overall, I'd say good, but, um, I had my own, you know, discrepancies about it. I'm sure nobody will agree with, but I'll still vent them anyway. If we, but, all, if know, we were all the same, it'd be a boring world. That's true. No, this is definitely, um, an, an excellent game. I mean, the, as far as like the graphics go, the, the music, nothing can really hold a candle to, but it does have the advantage because it is CD based for the time for being a CD based 16 bit game. Um, the, the, I didn't like, I felt like it was pretty, um, up and down, like, um, like that boss gauntlet. Um, that was an in, interesting struggle for me. Once I finally got to that boss gauntlet, I didn't really do my homework as well as I should have on the game. So I actually beat the gauntlet with just using the, the cross. I didn't bother to try to get the book that was lower to make it a world of difference easier on myself. So that was a fun adventure to do that with just that cross item instead for least. And, um, and then when you go through and then you make a great accomplish like that in the game, and then you go to, um, like that, uh, was a go- Shaft's Ghost or whatever, that, that gave me a good run for my money too, just because I was so beat up from, you know, doing the tower and doing that whole stage seven. And, uh, I didn't even, at the time, like I said, I did a lack of homework, so I didn't get all those meats between. So I just fought my whole way through, had like one life left and then took him on. And uh, since Dracula was so easy, it just felt, um, compared to those guys, I'm not saying he's easy for me, because he did take me a few tries even. I had to find my own system for him, because when I started researching the bosses, everybody had a different style, but I couldn't find anybody use the style that worked for me. Like, a lot of people would be jumping over his fire and then hitting him in the head, or a lot of people would be throwing, like, the, the cross at him to block the fire and then hit him in the head. Yeah, that's what um, I was telling you. That's what I've yeah. always that's what I've always done. You whip them and then throw the cross, and it takes out the three balls. That's yeah. that, that's basically the classic, like you know, way to beat them. I just got to have my own different racket, so I, I was yeah. almost like measuring because you could see like those blocks on the floor. So I'd walk up to him three blocks every time, and then as soon as he extended his arm, I just I just hit his head, and that timing alone would take out the fire while I hit him in the head. So I just kept doing yeah. that every time so he'd never hit me. So That's I just whipped exactly him how I did it, too. Yeah, I saved all that. So then I saved all my cross power when he turned into the second form so I could do that power-up. That knocked a good chunk of his life down to make that way easier. Because um, can you clear when he, like, jumps over you, or was I just too slow? Because it seemed like when you he had jumped clear. over me, I kept getting hit. Oh, you so. can totally clear it. You have to stay, like, right in the pocket, though. Yeah, so I don't be think... right on right on the edge of the hippo. Yeah, so I basically saved up all my life from the first battle with Dracula, so then he could just stomp me because I didn't have that down cold. And that's where, if you had the slide from yeah. the newer version, you oh, could just yeah, yeah, I didn't have a slide, so that's Done. definitely yeah. 
or or Maria. And the funny thing is, I remember because I I haven't gone through very deeply in Symphony of the Night, but I remember the beginning, and I've gotten a little bit far in the game. And I remember that beginning being super easy, so I was kind of preparing myself, be like, "Oh, Dracula will be a piece of the cake," but that's why you could do the slide in that one, correct? No, the reason why the Dracula battle in Symphony was a piece of cake was because you had infinite life. And it was the Every beginning time, of the like, game. Oh, was it? I wasn't even paying attention. I couldn't remember. Yeah, like like you were Richter. And if you happen to lose all your life from the second form of Dracula, Maria comes out and kills your life. I gotcha. Help, help me, Victor, or something. <laughs> she goes I and gotcha. kills no, your life. Yeah, I just remember it being super easy, but I don't even remember the refill. I just remember it was, I had a smoother time, but for whatever reason. But before I get into my main topic on comparing the game with something, I was going to ask you two guys really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of Out of the classic NES Castlevanias, What's your favorite one of the one through three? Well, I beat them all. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. So it's easily three for me. It's three's my third favorite Castlevania okay. of all time with Rondo. Yeah, three. three for me too. Rondo. Too. Okay. Well, Rondo being, yeah, cause Jeff and I were talking about like, what are your favorite? Like Rondo is my favorite than Symphony than Castlevania three, but easily Castlevania three because it's, it expounds on the original Castlevania formula. Yeah. And it's a return to the greatness, plus you have an explosion of all the awesomeness that they added. Like multiple characters, multiple routes. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely, yeah. definitely. So the reason you guys are both pick three, now me, I'm just different, of course, so my favorite was number one if I had to pick those three out of them. I number just like one the awesome too. Classic yeah. original. I, I pick one over three. Now three would be next in line because I think we all can agree two is <laughs> nothing like one or three. Did so, you beat the first one though? Yeah, I've beaten the first one. Did you beat the third one? Uh, third one I've gotten close, but no, I've not beaten that one. <laughs> number one is yeah, much tough. harder than number three. Yeah, because the Reaper is and the Frankenstein, those are two of the hardest then bosses just, I've ever fought. And I'm fought. just weird because I had a heck of an easier time in number one than number three. Number three, Dracula had all those different forms, and maybe I just didn't know the pattern, but he, he, he just went to town on me. I never could beat Dracula in number three. But uh, that was a he, long time ago. I haven't tried recently. I would actually say that um, Dracula in three is way harder than Rondo for sure. Yeah. It's it's tough stuff. It's tough stuff. So anyway, what I grew up with mm-hmm. number one, and I didn't yeah, get to play three until I was in college. So that's probably a whole different racket. You got the advantage of the Fester's Quest advantage of growing up with the game. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> that's what helps you out a lot. And I didn't grow up with that one, so that might be a part of it. But the reason I brought that all up is because I'm kind of noticing a pattern that since one was my favorite, as much as I love Rondo of Blood, and I think it's a great game, I it's just kind of it just felt a little um. I don't know, not as complete as, say, Super Castlevania 4. I'd still pick that one over it, but Rondo would definitely be my second pick after that one. But a lot of people seem to argue between those two. And the one thing that a lot of people don't realize, I think, is Super Castlevania 4 came out two years before Rondo. Uh So, I mean, it's an even older game you're comparing, if you want to be a little bit more fair about it in chronology. But I'm sure you guys want to tear that apart. What do you think? Well, not really tear it apart, it's that actually a lot of people down Rondo of Blood because they didn't add the whip mechanics because Super Castlevania 4 came out before it. They felt that it was almost a step back with Rondo because they didn't put in, you know, the spinning of the whip and being able to whip diagonally. Yeah, that's... It's a huge argument, actually, for why Super Castlevania 4 is better. Yeah, that's a good part of it, but I mean, for me, it was like... um. 
uh, it, it seemed like a longer game also. I mean, now it's, it's just whatever your flavor is. I mean, they're both good in their own right. It's like Rondo, you go, and then you get secret paths, and then there's more levels and stuff, whereas Super Castlevania, it's all linear, and then it's just all the levels. It's like you're guaranteed not to miss anything. But if you're into finding secrets and doing separate paths and then replaying other levels, Whereas me, I, I was always the guy, let's put it this way, I was the guy who played Doom that I wanted to kill everything and hit the exit button at the end. I was not farting around trying to find secrets. If I found a secret, great. I just want to hit the end of the level and play linearly. So well, that's why I think I go to the gravitate to linear games more so. Well, do you mean more complete by, like, the storyline is told to you in an easier fashion? Well, it's it's not so much the story for me. It's just, like, the way the games line up. Like, I like sitting down and being like, okay, there's ten levels this game. I'm not going to miss much of it. I don't have to worry about getting a special item or something and then going to on a whole other path. I just want to be so, like, hey, when I go from A to B, I'm going to see the majority of the game. I don't have to worry about replaying it again. But here's the thing. You don't have to worry about replaying it again. No one's making you do that. No, I I, I know what you mean, Bolt. That's what's the, making that's, me do it yeah. is that I want to see the, everything that came with the game. You know what I mean? But that, so, that so you gives have, it replay so you, value. So you basically have a complex that you want to see everything as a completionist but you don't want to hunt for it. You don't want to work for it. You just, you just want it all laid out in front of you. So yeah, you I just, just want to be a lazy it. gamer and go from the beginning yeah. to the end and know I hit all the levels. <laughs> that's I mean, that's, why we, that's yeah, why we got the, uh, the guide on the website from Kyle, too. It helped. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was very helpful. I, I looked through that one, and I got Maria in the game, and she was really um fun to play with, I would say. And you know what? She's a mixed bag because, as funny as it sounds, the bosses were super easy with her. But I found the levels because I was played so much with Richter. I was kind of playing with a Richter mentality and not realizing, oh, yeah, I can totally clear this with jumps. I don't have to climb the stairs and stuff. I was actually having a harder time doing the levels with her than I did with Richter. But the bosses were easier. So it's kind of funny. That and it didn't feel like Castlevania when I played that game with her. Just throwing birds at things doesn't sound like Castlevania to me. But yeah, she, she definitely doesn't match. But I, I think it is cool because she attracts females to the game, so you can get no, your, definitely. And that's you can get your your girlfriend or your daughter, yeah. or your wife, whatever, to play it. Oh, that's a cool. Um, my daughter was watching me play as Maria, so that's why I actually played through on um, the PC Engine one more with Maria because my daughter was on my lap. She was like, <laughs> oh, little go. girl, and I would say, oh, look, she got hurt, like when she would die, and she's like, oh no, she's back. My daughter would say that, like when she came back <laughs> the next life. Awesome. And and like the the whole thing with um I I always see this on like when people review like music albums like the album's too long but the person who made it is giving you like more you can just press stop at any time so I I could never understood why people would dock a game because it's too long or too full because they're just giving you more to do. It's like it, they're not telling you to do it. It's kind of like playing as Maria. Like if you don't like Maria, I don't think it, you can dock it for that because you don't have to play as Maria. You yeah. can just totally ignore that. So it's it's almost like um if they're not forcing you to do it, then they're they're just saying, "Hey, we're just giving you extras so that you you're you still want to play this game tomorrow." And for for that and especially for an artist's point of view like that's where it's like a huge passion project because they didn't have to do that. And that's the whole Dracula X thing. Like for Super Nintendo, it's just like a linear version. You know, they yeah. were, they were just like, here, 
We're not. We're gonna take out all the hidden characters, and we're gonna take out all the secret levels. That it's kind of a watered down version, isn't it? Well, it's watered down because it's linear. Yeah. Well, I'm in watered down. Like, are the levels pretty accurate to the same of the other one? The levels that are in it, or the design is is completely chotched up. Like, it's all. It doesn't look the same. Yeah, Um, that's what I was trying to say. There's no hidden paths, no that, no hidden bosses. But no, uh, altogether though, it's 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 definitely an A game as far as I'm concerned. It's it's well, like how many hard. levels are yeah, in definitely. Super Castlevania Four? Like that, because that I one's mean, got chunks. That one's uh, mm, eight, or, eight or nine. Because I mean, because in Rondo, you, without all the hidden paths, you have eight levels. So if you're only going to play it one time, then you you have. Eight, nine levels, two two small stages, so seven full levels. Yeah, there's there's Obviously. there's less in Rondo if you play it once through than yeah. Super Castlevania, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, then and then if you're gonna compare the levels, then like, all right, well, you also have four extra levels in Rondo, and actually six is just a boss guy one; it's not level either. So. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's more of a fight if you like the classic feel. Like Rondo is the excellent solution if you're like I like the classic straight whip feels like the, you know the old classic originals. And Super Castlevania is kind of like a nice step up. It like changes things a little bit in an enhanced way. And some people just want to keep it more traditional, which I can fully understand that too. So it depends what mood you're in, in my opinion. But they're both great games. Yeah, and what it's funny because what I actually wished in the beginning was if they made all the secret levels. Into the linear. Imagine that, Kevin. Imagine playing a twenty-level game. That'd be <laughs> that'd be awesome. That's that's what I wanted um, originally, but they couldn't do that because that would be fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> so they just decided to make like little treats that you can find. And they had the um, save feature. I don't know why it's not doable. Heck, make it a game as long as you want, as long as it saves, right? Yeah. If someone cool. someone could do it. But it, you know, I mean, like theoretically, if you wanted to like reprogram everything, but oh no, no, I just, I just but, uh, in general, before they made the game, they could have considered making it all linear and have everything in there one way or another. But they, I mean, what they did was a nice, different way. Is I think it's different for its time, other than well, actually, no, it's like three, right? So, 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 uh, so you're you're more on the lines of like you would, but you would beat twenty row rather than explore like seven yep. levels. That's it's, how I. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I like to mow through it. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like, oh, I beat it, put it on the shelf because we got so many games here. I just well, that, it. well, you should enjoy it too. I mean, that's what I was doing. Yeah. I was like trying to take it all in, like enjoying. Well, no, I, I definitely did that. You know, I went back, the atmosphere. I I every, and, and the and the aspect of homework that we actually have two weeks. You don't have to play it in one sitting and try to beat it. We have two full weeks right now that you can go back and experience it. Well, my skill set, it takes those two weeks to get the game beat, unfortunately, because as much as I love Castlevania, I'm average at best at the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, so but if just, it was like a, a Mario game or something up my platforming racket, yeah, I could have that capped out in no time. That, that kind of makes sense then, because you, once you beat the level, since you, you don't want to go back because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's the reason then. Yep. I'm like this, the cycle babble master. I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to figure out what makes people tick and what, what makes me, what makes me tick. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I guess me and you, Kyle, are kind of similar with gaming skill where we learn the level 
and then we go back and it's like riding a bike and it's no problem. Yeah, it's, oh, I don't man, know, it's like, something with certain it's games. so easy no matter now. how hard I practice, I only get that good, and then I just don't get much better. It's like I cap out plateau Plat- on certain plateau, games. Plateau, yeah. Yep. And Castlevania is one of them, and I, it pisses me off because I actually really like the series, and it's hard for me. It is but, hard, but and, and Super <laughs> Castlevania isn't as hard, and that's why you yeah. like it more. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would probably be the easiest, easiest linear Castlevania. It's a beautiful game, though. It it, oh, yeah. it it shows off what the SNES is capable yeah, of. It's, but it's fun, casual play. I say. I mean, I can sit back and enjoy that one, not be like sitting there sweating trying to do a gauntlet. <laughs> that's why I think that's that's why Rondo's great to me, though. Right. It's oh like God. it's like balls to the wall, though. Like and there's certain parts where it's it's not fucking around, you know. Yeah. No, that fucking boss gauntlet. Goddamn, I had to stop and come back to it in another day. Yeah, I was like dying so much. <laughs> with me. I, I did one day of it, and then had to take a day off. And but once, but once I was able to get through like the first three bosses in the boss rush without even taking damage, I was like, I felt like I was like earning my earning my yep. stripes. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the right. thing. Like once you get it, then you, you and you know what they're gonna do, then it's pretty much good from there. Now I. On as, as a comparison of uh, parallax scrolling, because I, I love my parallax scrolling, I believe yeah. I counted six or seven layers in Rondo at, at one time. Oh, yeah. So I want to count the layers in Super Castlevania. It's probably like four or five. Yeah, yeah non, but... non mode seven. No, no. Yeah. Mode yeah. seven, I think, in Castlevania four with the chandeliers, right? <laughs> yeah, when you like hold the whip and you spin around it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> they're bragging rights. And the one brick, <laughs> the, the, the one like brick. Boss guy when he expands when yeah. you kill him and he's like, how good that Super Nintendo one is, and it's a cartridge, even the music in it. I mean, it's not as good as Rondo because Rondo's a CD. That's like cons- comparing a tape cassette to a CD. You got to give it a a fair fight there. Yeah, that'll be that will be my fifth favorite. Um, so it it, it, would, it would go Rondo, Symphony, Castlevania three, Castlevania one, and then Castlevania four, and then then Bloodlines. I do love Bloodlines a lot. Yeah, I haven't I that one yet. I would oh, really? Bloodlines. It's fun, love, man. Uh, a couple of them. <laughs> I love Bloodlines. And, oh, it's so great. And yeah, you can Bloodlines pick two different guys. Kind of I'm like, where's Simon Belmont and where's Richter? And I'm like... You get John John Morris is like a descendant of the Belmont. So you get your whip guy, and then you have this awesome spear guy, though. Yeah, the spear guy. You'll, you'll love him, though, because you can be, like, really cheap. Like, I, I fucking love that shit, because you can take advantage of all the enemies. It's kind of like the, the easy... The easier hard mode. <laughs> yeah, because John Morris is pretty tough to beat it with. All right, guys. So um, let's uh go ahead and wrap it up, and then we got our little special guest coming on. Um, awesome. Uh, so what we got to do is we got to give this our bullshit grade. <laughs> a. Um, absolutely, an A, a plus, plus game. Like, yep. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like I know you're even Kevin's giving it an A. You know it's a fucking champ. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I mean, the, that the just, game beat my ass, and I gave it an A. I can't argue that it's a good game because I suck not good enough at it. You know? Dude, it it beat my ass a lot too, though. Don't Hell feel yeah. bad. I I got the shit kicked out of me on a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, I'm I'm just proud that I beat the damn thing. I don't think I only got seventy eight percent, but I'll take it. That's pretty good. I did want to ask really you all though, like, what was your favorite level? Mine was definitely the the ghost ship because I'm just a fucking pirate oh, and an undead pirate, man. I think I wrote the uh, the ghost ship is like an awesome setting in my notes. <laughs> that was oh. definitely my favorite level too. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, dude. 
I don't know which level it was. The one, it's a, it's an earlier level just because I like the music the best. I think I picked the level. It's the one with the, you know, like skeleton, uh, snake, uh, dragon thing on the wall and all that. It's four, like level stage four. three or four, something it's like four. that. It's a dungeon one. Yeah, the yep. dungeon one. Yeah, I like that one. With That's all the knights cool. and stuff. Yep. And the yep. swinging spikes. Yep. Yeah, it's four. That's it. That's one I like. I just picked it mainly because of the music. <laughs> That's a cool level though. I, I yeah. love the knights. Uh, yeah, and what Jeff was talking about with the lake level, you can only get to the level after you've beaten the game. So you have to beat level four. Um, you have to beat the, uh, the, the vampirus chick. Yeah. I was gonna ask you guys really quick before I forget. If you beat the game again at 100%, does it give a different ending or no? Um, I don't believe so, but I... It's still the same as me beating it at, like, 60% when I first beat it? Yeah, it's just the the satisfaction of the 100%. Deal. Okay. I was just curious, because you never know. I mean, like Jeff said, that PSP version, they had the different endings and stuff, or a different way to get there, so it's neat. Yeah. Yeah, so back in that level 5, there's tons of knights, and what Jeff was saying with those two huge knights, and there's a place where, where you get to the level, and there's two knights that corner you that are as big as the screen. Yeah, and you're you're like, what the hell am I gonna do? I love that. I, I love that feeling though, because uh, mm-hmm. you you do o- overcome it. You know, you really do. That's right. And that's what's amazing. That's what actually makes it um, one of the best Castlevanias of all time. Definitely. Is this Walter? This is Walter. Is this Kyle? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the group one now, I think. We're all here. Woo! Okay. I, I don't know if I'm all here. <laughs> <laughs> None of us are completely. No, never, <laughs> never. never, never. <laughs> all right, Walter. So, um, we, um, for the last hour or so, we've been, um, bullshitting about, um, Castlevania Dracula X Rondo Blood. Um, it is a engine Japanese only release um, Castlevania game and basically um, it was our homework game uh, gives us a chance to dust off some games that have been in our collection and um, we play it for a couple weeks and then we do like a thorough review um, what we figured we would get from you though is you said you had some experience with Castlevania so. oh no no I can't remember what I said right now I, said, I think I said we're going to talk Castlevania and I yep. think I made it a point that I was going to go out and do some research on Castlevania, but it turns out that this exact moment is the window of me getting ready for Allentown. And at the ah. same time, my computer crashed, and I don't have a computer. Because oh, I can't God. do anything with the iPad Mini except rare Skype calls and uh, and do email. So I've been in the local university campus library using their Macintosh doing posters and doing cards and all sorts of stuff. So my attempt to do the homework so I could be up on the same page with the guys fell through because I ran out of computer, ran out of time. And uh, so I apologize, but I know a lot of great jokes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but, but from perspective, uh, 
Castlevania, you know, has been, having been the scorekeeper for all those decades, Castlevania was had a huge footprint. That was a very, very big deal of a game. And uh, the amount of warfare that people fought over Castlevania to try and win, you know, win the laurels and be the, 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 the king of the hill was simply amazing. Just some remarkable... Just, 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 just a lot of remarkable amount of energy was spent on being the the the, the, the top score on the different Castlevania games. And Castlevania was created by John Romero, if I remember right. Do, do I remember right? Is it John Romero who did Castlevania? I know he did Doom and stuff. It, it, and, and Wolfenstein 3D. Maybe it was Wolfenstein I'm thinking of. Maybe it's Wolfenstein I'm thinking of. Yeah, who, did, who did Castlevania? Uh, Castlevania was a copy that was actually developed in Japan. So. They, make, they make games in Japan? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classics. Yeah. Let's so, see if we can find a creator here real quick. <laughs> we should, whoever it is, we should put them on a trading card. <laughs> oh, yeah. They yeah, might as well get their name out there. <laughs> creator of Castlevania. Um, so the, the the designers of Castlevania is Koshi Igarashi. There we go. And, of course, Mr. Metal Gear himself, Hideo Kojima. Ooh, very nice. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, is, I think Hideo Kojima may have his own trading card. <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, the, the Japanese people are so sensitive about prestige issues. Whereas they value prestige higher than other cultures do. However, they're very reluctant to be caught doing anything that blatantly shows that they're trying to win prestige or, or claim prestige. So, so it, it'd be, it's very hard to get Japanese people on trading cards because they're, they're afraid of the, uh, the whiplash of public scorn for them being so bold as to go and claim that they deserve to be on a trading card. Yeah, they're always a very um a very culture. They they're very quiet and very calm and collected. But so stubborn, so stubborn. They will never give up. <laughs> they have that cuz they have the honor, you know. Yeah. They'll go down with the sinking ship. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. They'll work themselves to death. Yeah, it's those things like whoa. So, so all here, you were uh, talking about Allentown. Yeah, it's going to be, it's next weekend. I fly out next Friday, eight days from now. And it'll be at the Merchants Square Mall. Lots and lots of people are coming because they heard Jeffrey Wittenhagen will be there. Should be a huge turnout. And are, are, you're coming by yourself, Jeffrey, or are these other gentlemen? Um, well, I am on the East Coast now. I had to move out to um, the Washington, D.C. area. So I'm only a couple hours away. So oh, that's out. great! That's yeah. great. I, I will have the uh, the little uh, the little video game princess blended with me though this time. Oh, <laughs> That'll yeah. be interesting. Daughter and so. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh your daughter. I don't think we met your daughter at the last couple things, have we? Yeah, no, no. The last time she was at her grandparents' house, the icon of that. So yeah, yeah. This time, um, I should have the princess with me. Alrighty. Yeah, she's so, actually played Castlevania with me this last couple weeks. Alright. So Kyle, you're not you're not coming, Kyle? It's pretty tough for me to get away these days. 
I actually live uh, by Chicago, and uh, I actually went with Jeff to the video game summit. What what year was that? Two thousand thirteen or twelve? They definitely had the the trading cards there, and uh, I actually got a few of them still. Uh, so, so I met you, and you were there when we gave the pres- the trading card presentation. Yeah, I was sitting in the back there uh, with with Jeff and another buddy. Yeah, I was yeah, we probably there was some great deals to it. The, those conventions are just fantastic for that, and just everyone comes out, you know, and just tries to have a good time. There's just nothing better as far as the gaming community goes. Oh no, I agree with you completely. Yeah, uh, games, I think the video game summit is a very nice, very just it's just good. It's really good. And all of them are good. So what town do you live in, Kyle? Uh, Munster, Indiana. It's about 45 minutes out of Chicago, which is where I work. I'm out in um, I'm out in Odington, Maryland now is where I had to Yeah, Kevin's actually in Munster, too. Um, on the street. Yep, which is great. <laughs> so we'll have our game nights and everything like that. It, it's always good to know, like, because he, uh, him and I were are both striving toward a complete NES set, at, amongst a lot of other things, but... It's cool to know someone who's just as crazy. <laughs> Always hard to find your own crazy out there. Yes. So the complete the NES set. What's the number of games? Is it like seven hundred ninety-two or something? I can't remember now. It's very close. Eight hundred. Yeah. Very close. Eight hundred. And uh, and aren't the last four or five starting to get pricey? Oh my god! Like way way crazy. <laughs> Yeah. When you say a complete set, are you also talking about the uh, the big one from the contests? Oh, the uh, world championships. Well, we all were talking in a previous podcast about our own rules, and uh, <laughs> like my rules, my rules were I'll take a reproduction to say it's complete for that card because technically I can play and enjoy it as if it's the real thing. So that's kind of my role for it, just like well, the many- stage of events. Yeah, there's how many real ones? How many real ones have been identified out there? There's three or four, or five. Aren't there only like three or four or five or six or something? Yeah, you together. Yeah, there's there's two different types of uh, Nintendo World Championship cards. There's the gray ones that were given away at the World Championships event to the winner. Yeah, and then there's gold card here that were given away to contest winners to Nintendo Power. The Nintendo Power one, I think there were supposed to be about twenty. But only like four or five that identify. Uh, the, the gray ones, there's closer to a hundred, and I think there's about twenty or thirty out there right now. Yeah. Still extremely rare. Um, now, actually, Walter, it's um, interesting you mentioned like the, the actual complete collection because my next book is almost done, and it actually is the complete U.S. licensed NES collection. Um, it's going to be a pocket guide you can put in your pocket. Take it around when you go watch the game. Um, it's gonna have a check mark, so you can check mark whether you have the box, the manual, the cartridge, and it's gonna have every license in the U.S. Um, that being said, Nintendo World Championships was not a licensed U.S. release you could buy at the store. So that yeah. actually isn't considered part of a complete collection. Um, and that's, I, I usually go off and talk to forums and I've collaborated with people to make sure I'm the most complete list and yeah, my thing is, if um, I find a game that I don't have, I definitely want to add it to the collection, but I'm only going to pay a certain amount, because, you know, I've been collecting since I was a kid, and I'm 32 now, and I I never went through that phase where you sell all, all your games or anything, so I was getting them, you know, back in Funko Land for under a dollar at the time, and I just kept amassing them, but now, now that it's blown up so crazy, and 
I was kind of wondering what you think about that, Walter, is how much stuff's getting worth now. Like, video games as a media, I don't think there's any other media, um, like DVDs or anything, or music that gets to that price, you know, that people are willing to pay. Baseball cards? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Lou Gehrig or Babe Ruth or something. <laughs> Mickey Mantle. Well, Isn't... actually, actually, I have a lot of thoughts reflecting on this. Well, first of all, I had a visitor from out of town from St. Louis just yesterday, and he was passing through on his way back to St. Louis from having gone to DeMortfort, where he sold one of the biggest collections ever of video game consoles and games. It was so big that it was actually being considered uh, by one organization to buy it to start a full-fledged museum with it. Okay, He wouldn't tell me he wouldn't tell me the price, but whatever the price was, it was a considerable amount of money. Okay, so games do bring a lot of money, and people are building up some pretty big collections. Um, as, and, and games are becoming valuable. They are uh, among the leading edge things for uh, for for just taking old, to just taking popular culture icons. And turning them into valuable, collectible, historical relics. Okay, the games are de- definitely near the top. Uh, baseball, in other words, in other words, video game history is going through the same uh, transformation and historical cycle that uh, baseball cards went through, and then comic books went through, mm-hmm. and now and now video game memorabilia. It's the whole exact same completely replicated cycle of culture becoming uh, uh, immortalized and being assigned value. So it started with, I, I think the earliest was uh, was the, the trading cards. Yeah. Like each generation like started based yeah. on the trading cards, then it went to comic books, then it went to video games. Yeah, yeah exactly. What's, what's crazy about um, video games compared to any other medium like film or music is that you have the other aspect, which is what your uh, trading card collection and your old Twin Galaxy scoreboard and everything that uh, Walter Day is about is recognizing those that have the skill to stand out above their peers. And video games is like the only medium that I know that you can have something with. You can experience it as a, you know, as an actual watching it, as a viewing it, playing it, and then you have the skill aspect where you have people that can stand out and do great things in the community. Um, and, and being able to actually have that, it's almost like a sports-type aspect to video games. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind. Well, well now, Kyle and uh, Kevin, you're yeah. pretty familiar with the trading cards, of course, aren't you? Yep, I got a few myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. definitely. So, uh, about four hours ago, uh, four trading cards that were sealed by Beckett. You know who Beckett is? Beckett grades the trading yep. cards? No, I don't know who that is, actually. Let's say in Beckett, they put the trading cards in those plastic sealed containers and put grades on them, like 8.5. Gotcha. Just like the games. Beckett had the, had the uh, trading the price guide back in the day. Yeah, that's right. The baseball cards, you'd always go to the Beckett. So they're pretty prestigious. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're clearly they're at the top. They're at the top of the line. 
Cool. Yeah, so, like, like the Guinness of the, of the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. thing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, so they recognize our trading cards now as being legitimate, being bona fide, and so they've been grading them as, as you know, you know, because Jeffrey knows this because he's coming to our big event. And, uh, and four or five cards just sold on eBay, uh, that were sealed up and graded. One was, two were Billy Mitchell, one was me, and one was Richie Knuckles. But the thing is that they, they sold at an average of, the average was over $40 each. These are for single cards. Whoa. Single cards that have only been printed for, you know, just barely a year. Wow. Oh, yes. So, the reason that they sold was, one, they were autographed. Two, they were authoritatively graded by Beckett, so there's huge prestige with them. It's a version of, like, Guinness World Records prestige, you know? Mm-hmm. And three, is people are beginning to recognize that video game history, video game culture has come full around, and that it's now a recognizable cultural phenomena that is worthy of not only collecting, but also on the level of investment grade collecting. So it's very interesting. So I can hardly wait to get myself some graded Jeffrey Wittenhagen cards and oh, <laughs> sell them on eBay. Cause I think, you know, like, like Jeffrey's first card, I'm, I'm sure it'll go for a couple thousand. Oh, I already absolutely. sold one of those for a Lamborghini. <laughs> Who's to say? You know, when I was down in Houston at the in November at the Houston Arcade Expo, one of the one of the famous video game champions that's on our card he, cards, he, he owned a Lamborghini, so <laughs> he said, Oh, I'll take you for a spin and show you show you. And so he got in his car and he went from zero to a hundred in under seven seconds. Wow. Rocket. To say, to say I was surprised was the understatement of the century. <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of scary, but I got used to it. But it was scary. <laughs> the first seven seconds were scary. And uh, and then the next event in Florida, one of the guys there had a Porsche. And so he went like a zero to 107. But then he did something the other guy didn't do. Then he demonstrated his braking. And it was unbelievable how fast he could stop from 100 miles per hour and not even skid. Mm. Because of the remarkable level of engineering and the braking system on a Porsche, that was also is amazing. You know, braking. So, so, so. Anyway, so those are my two car experiences. I don't think I've been in cars like that any other time in my life. It's 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 just great to me how certain people are just good at that. You know, like braking on a dime and stuff like that. And it it just correlates exactly with video games. Certain people. I always thought of it like an Olympic sport. You might be good at, you know, swimming, but it doesn't mean you're good at volleyball. So you, you're just born for a certain thing. It's kind of like a video game. A certain game that you're good at, other people might not be so good at, but you might not be good at the next game. So it's just kind of like finding your niche and then working at that and practicing at that and seeing how far you can go. And I think that's the key to the high score thing. Well, that's, that's, that's well stated. Uh, and I, I generally agree with that. Because people seem to have body rhythms and body types that just uh, can embrace certain just me- mechanical rhythms or certain uh, uh, dimensions of perception, stuff like that. And uh, like, like for instance, Donald Hayes, a famous arcade champion, he's good at uh, well, really four or five games, but he just can't do Donkey Kong. Just, just, just 
even though he's the best in the world on centipede and millipede and a few other things, he simply just can't do Donkey Kong. The rhythms or the design or the shadow, whatever it is, just just the fundamental uh, building blocks of the of the structure of the game just defy his ability to really get in the groove and play it on a level that's uh, stellar. But he can sure whips whip whip some other games. I'll tell you that. Yeah, there's just something about it. Like when you walk up to a game, he just feels right, you know. And um, I was going to ask you, Walter. Now is it was make tracks. That was one of your record setters, right? Yeah, I was only really a, a world champion in one game. That was Make Tracks. That was in 1982. Other people took the record away from me. And I just didn't care enough to pursue the record. But I know how to play the game. And if, if I actually played and played and played and played and played, I could get the record back. But uh Because you have to keep playing and investing your time and energy in it mm-hmm. so that you get the rhythm back. And you get the energy all sparked up and enlivened to get all juiced up with it. And just, and then eventually you start getting higher scores and higher scores until finally they'll spike it and get the record, I can get the record back. But, but, uh, uh, it's just not valuable enough to me. Right. Things I need, I need my energy, my time for other things that are more important to me. Absolutely. I know uh, Kyle has mentioned his, his classic quote, which is, you do anything for a thousand hours, you start to become a master at it. Um, <laughs> and combine that with finding your niche, your niche game, you surely become one of those world record level masters. That's um, one of the things where I think console gaming, there isn't as many people out there that are pursuing records as in the arcade, competitive arcade. Um, I'm not sure. There may be more. There may, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of submissions for Twin Galaxies. Do you deal with Twin Galaxies much? Um, I have, and the thing is, is that I've taken uh, six or even even over a dozen NES games, Nintendo and Genesis games, and set the world record like within my first or second attempt. Um, and I videotaped them and all that. And um, and the thing is, is like with arcade games, it just seems like you're like if I try to do a Donkey Kong score, I'm gonna be like the chaser. Even after practicing for like a month, because there's oh, so oh, okay. many people. So, so let me make some comments on that. Uh, there are games that I'd like to call legacy games. They are, they are, they are the fabric of history themselves. Uh, let's use Donkey Kong as the classic example. Donkey Kong. Uh, there are now about seventy-five to a hundred people, or maybe even more. Who can reach the kill screen? And most of those people, most of those people can reach the kill screen because they've been watching YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. So it's, so, uh, so everything, all the moves are all demonstrated. They just start practicing, practicing, practicing. They get the rhythms and the sensibilities down pat for it. Billy Mitchell taught himself all of this by himself, learning nothing from anybody else. Right. That's pretty yeah. amazing. That's pretty amazing. So that's why he's kind of a special guy. But all these other guys, many of them, they've just gone and uh, most of them have just gone and learned from YouTube videos. Yeah, that's yeah. The point I'm getting at, the point I'm getting at though, is that the level you can learn, you can learn how to do all the executions, and that's what all these people are doing. But the trick is, is actually executing it. 
So once they learn all the stuff, then they have to play a thousand games before they finally put together that incredible game where they execute everything they know how to execute, but execute it properly and put it all together in one game. And then they get up near the world record. Right now, the world record is so high that if you were to take the top 20 guys on Donkey Kong and have them all play 200 games each, maybe one of them would get close to the world record because the amount of perfection of execution is so high now that the, that the, what is the word for it? That the time and energy, expenditure of time and energy to go and get the new world record and break it is so extreme that no one really has, especially so many of them have wives and children and stuff like that and they have day jobs. So, uh-huh. so, so what you have, what you have to spend or invest, the investment level is so high that it's going to be a point real soon, if not already, that the Donkey Kong score is going to stall for maybe even a decade or two, maybe even longer, because it'll take so many games for a top, top player to play in order to, in order to statistically have that moment when he breaks the record that it's just not worth the investment to anybody because they have their lives to live too. However, because these are legacy games and they are eternal, as time goes on, I, I, I'm absolutely certain that 150 years from now, CNN is going to say, today, John Smith, at the age of 67, after spending 55 day, years practicing Donkey Kong, broke the 150, <laughs> broke the 150 year old record. Or something like that. Wow. <laughs> it's going like to happen that people, is that people will dedicate that, oh, this is what I'm going to do in the course of my life. So they play every day and they practice for decades. Then eventually someday they might break it just by a hundred points. And then that score may stall again for another 25, 50 years or something. And then eventually it's never going to go up again. So because it'll be too high and it'll take too much perfection and too much luck. Too many things working in your favor that just may never be, those combinations may never be replicated again in a single game. Yeah. yeah. The, the luck factor is what always blows my mind in Donkey Kong. Cause it's not like luck factor on one level. That's luck factor throughout the entire Oh, yeah, well, think about it this way. Which which of you guys are baseball fans? More of a hockey fan, myself. My my dad raised me on baseball, and so, yeah, I've I've been going the game since I was a kid. Cubs or White Sox? Uh, Both, actually. Uh, He's more of a Sox fan, but both, which is surprising because most people are one or the other. He is... He actually played baseball in college, so he's just a huge... He just likes to see good baseball. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, well, here's why I brought baseball up. When you see, like, a shortstop, the shortstop really takes the heat. He has to be so good with his eyes and hands and with his feet to be able to move around. And because and, and, I think he gets, I think the shortstop gets more chances for error than anybody. Mm-hmm. Quite often, the Golden Glove shortstop will just have an incredible season where he makes very, very few errors in proportion to the number of chances he has, number of balls hit to him that he has to field properly. So so think of the best shortstop ever. When a person plays Donkey Kong, there are literally thousands of moments when if they don't execute perfectly, they die. And they only get four deaths. In other words, they are a golden glove shortstop who can only make four errors in the course of their season. 
Yeah. And that's how extreme that's how extreme it is for the Donkey Kong professionals, you know. Definitely. It's a great way to put it, yeah, because especially because with shortstop too, um I just want to paint a picture, like most batters are right handed and most when a right hander gets a really good hit, they're gonna pull it. And when they pull it, it's gonna go straight to that shortstop. So yeah, they're they're definitely dealing with the most stuff. So that's a great uh correlation with the pro gamer because he can just deal with it and it's kind of makes it look so easy where everyone else is like, Oh my god, you know, how does this <laughs> So that's that's where the whole like it, there's like a DNA thing too, I think with like a twitch and reaction time and just and the way the mind time. and the way the I think it's both. I think it, I, there are plateaus and glass ceilings in both situations and I think if you have almost a mix of like a genius type DNA and then that twitch, your your sky's the limit almost, you know. Yeah, wow. You have to. You have also have to have that persistence of the not never give up attitude because if you ever watch any of the video game documentaries or you go on YouTube and watch high score runs, you see somebody doing a high score run on Donkey Kong on YouTube. You don't see the two, three hundred other trials that they had where they didn't break that record. They had yeah. to go through oh, yeah. that for a long time. And like Walter's saying, it's about to get to the point where they're going to have to play for years yeah. before they ever even crack the top 20, top 100 probably. It's going to take years for somebody to crack the top 100 in Donkey Kong. Yeah, you know, the legacy games, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, the main, main top classics, they they will in short order over these next few years all have their established verified world record become so become so elevated that that eventually we won't see the records get broken for some years and uh it may be a later generation that actually addresses them and breaks them but they're such eternal games that there will always be people who one of the things they want to do to stab to to uh, just have a an achievement that can be proud of was that oh I'm going to be the Galaga champion you know mm-hmm. something like that or I'm going to be the Miss Pac-Man champion or something like that mm-hmm. and so uh, so later generations will be revisiting these games again and again and again and again as time goes on because these games are eternal. And like I said, you know, 200 years from now in the news, there'll be the story of someone who played a game for their whole life and then they finally broke the world record, a record that have stood for over 100 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be crazy. And, and right now, the, the craziness that we're running into is that we're in the explosion of the internet era right now. And it's a different mentality because as you said when billy mitchell learned how to play pac-man when he learned how to play donkey kong it's kind of like john bon jovi or somebody else playing guitar they had nobody to show them how to do those techniques so he is the innovator nowadays with the whole internet explosion it's at our fingertips i could look up a donkey kong world record right now and start memorizing every single board there's people put out books um, like Steve Saunders, who put out the book How to Master Donkey Kong back in the day, that's online right now where I can go to a website and see exactly all the techniques on any game ever. And it's about to hit that plateau where the people who have access to that now have pushed it as far as it can possibly go. Because the current Donkey Kong fluctuation that we've seen is through this internet era. 
this internet era, like Walter's saying, it's about to die. It's it's about to be over to where nobody can go any further due to all the combinations that Walter was talking about. And it's it's it's, it's going to be mind blowing when you see it plateau out, though. It's going to be great. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's where it was like crazy, where like the console based side, where it's like we have these games that we've played since we could basically walk, um, walk and talk. And I sat there and take these games, I fire them up, I don't even go online, and I can break a world record. Or I look at old game saves and all my track levels in like a Wave Race 64 for the Nintendo 64, all of them are better than the established world records online. And I'm like, that just shows me that they haven't hit that point of a legacy game yet. Well, that's um, that. Okay, what 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 uh, what it, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, what it is is that is that when we were doing the scorekeeping in the '80s, there were 250 primary arcade arcade titles, and now, of course, there's thousands of more arcade titles added in the last 30 years. So that's a that's a small amount amount of titles compared to the huge plethora of console titles. Exactly. It's it's possible to go online and check with the Twin Galaxy scoreboard and identify tens of thousands of games and tracks that don't even have a single score introduced yet there. Mm-hmm. And that's because of such a huge domain. Uh-huh. And uh the console titles well I, I think part of it too is the console t- well part of it too is that clearly the console environment hasn't been completely embraced by Twin Galaxies or anybody yet. To no, the console. It's too big. And also, many of the people who tra- traditionally, historically would have played the consoles were a little bit younger than the people who would have been in the arcades and growing up with those arcade games and playing them. And as they get older, then they start getting a little more serious about breaking world records. So, of course, I absolutely, absolutely believe that all these console titles will have standing world records that will mature more and more and more as the next couple of decades transpire. So I think that what you're saying is exactly true and is how it's going to pan out. The console games will become a very big deal and they will become a, they'll become more, well, what am I looking for? It'll be, it'll, it'll be a, it'll be recognized as a distinguished accomplishment to have the world record on Wave, what is it, Wave Runner 64 you said? Uh, yeah, Wave Race 64 was Wave like Race one 64. of them. Yeah. <laughs> but right and now, but it doesn't stand a chance to be, com- it's not considered at all on the level of like Donkey Kong, which is monstrously big. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- there are titles though on the NES that I, that are very competitive. I mean, you got your Mario Brothers, your classic standout blockbuster titles, like you were saying Castlevania, for example. <laughs> That's yeah. another one. It's just just by the name alone. If you say Nintendo, a lot of people think Castlevania, Contra, Metro, and Mario <laughs> Brothers, and those are the titles that people want records for because they're like, oh yeah, I have a world record for Captain Skyhawk, or I have a world record for you know Iron Sword. Like a lot of people aren't going to know what that is, but if you say I have a world record for Super Mario Brothers, they're going to know what that is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. the big the biggest one out of all of them on Nintendo is Tetris. There's a whole documentary on Tetris on the yeah. World Championships for that. That one is by bar, bar none the biggest, closest to Donkey Kong level, closest to a classic arcade world record uh, community is the Tetris community. They even do their own World Championships like the Kong off. 
I think you're right. That that would be the closest to any consoleized game, and the NES Tetris is the standard. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And absolutely it's, right. It, it, it's, it's a crazy, crazy aspect, and I, I'm pretty good at Tetris. I'm nowhere close to some of these guys because I've actually played with some of the world record holders competitively at some of these conventions, and like a guy like Ben Mullen, he destroys me in Tetris. Like it's not even oh, yes. close. <laughs> ben, the, ben the Devastator Mullen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do they have do they have it in the Portland thing every year still? Um yeah, they still have it out in Portland. Um, I was um I I've never been able to go to the Portland one. Um, the last time I played at a Tetris championship, it was actually at Midwest Gaming Classic last year when I was still out in um mid the Midwest. I was able okay, to play what, what 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 kind of is that what relationship does that have to the national championship? The um the Tetris World Championship? The one or, at Midwest Gaming. It's its own beast. It's, it has no correlation. Okay. Yeah. Oh oh you so they're playing Beast Tetris. Pretty much. <laughs> beast Tetris. Beast Tetris. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, like in, in Midwest Gaming Classic, they like to change it up as well, which game they use, because um, some people master the NES one, so they'll make it the Super Nintendo one or change it up to a game that has a little bit different um, different feel to it, but the same rules. Gotcha. So that's pretty fun as well. I think I got sixth in that tournament, which there's probably only 12 people or 20 people that played, so not too great. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just, it's something great with all the high scores. It's something about the spirit of human nature and how if people really want something, um, for the most part, if they follow that path long enough and hard enough, and most importantly hard enough, they will get it. And uh, mm-hmm. it kind of makes me think, like, what else can people achieve, you know, if they really wanted it? That's it, kind of amazing thought there, like... Really, sky is the limit if you want it bad enough. I mean, if, if you sat all day, like these people, you know, try to get these scores and did something, something else, you know, who knows where you could go with it. And that's, it's just incredible to me. That's what. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And if you also think of the, this is another thing that just expounds upon the depth of the whole gaming culture. There's so many facets to why we love video games, and, you know, then you can go at it competitively, and that's a whole other aspect that's a different beast in video games. You know, you have your whole collecting aspect, you have the playing aspect, you have the completing the game 100% aspect, you have a competitive, high score run aspect, and then you have, there's so many different facets to video games, that's why it's so interesting, I think that's why there's so many people that enjoy it so much and obsess about it so much as we do. Wow. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> pretty pretty interesting subjects. And um, the, the one thing that we, we mentioned too, Walter, was that uh, we talked about, you know, like Kyle and Kevin are collecting NES games. Um, one thing that we mentioned in a previous podcast was how arcade collecting um, has different stages to it. Because the first thing somebody does when they find an arcade game or or start collecting or, or say, hey, I want to get an arcade game, they go for that nostalgic game that they liked. And a lot of people in our generation, you know, we're in our 30s, so we're, you know, in the working world and everything. And we came in the arcades 
but the time that we started playing the arcades was late 80s, early 90s, and those were a lot of those, what Billy Mitchell would call, non-skilled arcade games, where the person with the biggest bankroll could master a game, get the highest score. I believe Moon Patrol is the first one to have the continuation via coin. Yes, and so... If your favorite game was Moon Patrol or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, or X-Men or The Simpsons, all of those games are great games for nostalgic purposes. But when somebody collects that and puts that in their house, and then they go and play it, and of course they're going to not put quarters in it, they're going to play it on free play, they're going to beat it in an hour or two. And then if they don't have that high score mentality, that mastering mentality to that game, they're not going to get any more play out of that giant arcade game. And that's where arcade collecting becomes a crazy, crazy beast because you have all those games that are in demand, but people are constantly fluctuating them out of their collections, whereas you have everybody focusing on the Donkey Kongs, the Centipedes, those 200-plus standard high-score games. Those are the ones that the collectors eventually go for, and those are the high-tier collectible arcade machine items. And pinball machines are another beast. Um, those are all high-score-based. But those are the ones that have the true collection because you have the people that can constantly strive for that higher score. No matter what, even if you put it on free play, you still only have three, four lives. And I love that about the arcade collecting. Um, the ones that I've collected are all high score based. And that's exactly, I'm glad that I've done my research and are part of many communities so I can, you know, learn that before you put a giant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade in your house and you play it for <laughs> like two hours and then it sits and collects dust till you have somebody over. Yeah, cause the, the guy who was just here does have a giant Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles in his house. Yeah, and I bet he plays it once a year. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. There was the, there was the whole thing with uh, me and Jeff were playing with one of our friends, and because since you have like infinite lives, he eventually asked, like, "Is this all there is?" <laughs> I, I'm just hammering a button. Yep. So it it that's the thing with when you're not putting a coin in to continue the game. There, it, it also like levels off at like another point where they just get sick of pushing the button over and over again. That's, that's kind of what I noticed with, especially with people who aren't like true gamers. Because someone who I think was a true gamer would say, okay, turtles in time, let's see if I can get through without, you know, dying, you know, three, three times, whatever. Or without getting hit. Or... Yeah. But most people yeah. are probably going to hit that glass ceiling and say, okay, I'm done. Um, and it's also more of a group. It's a really yeah. good group game, you know, and people are just hanging out and stuff like that. But there is, is you're a, like Jeff hits it on the head again with the fact that those old games are just so pure. You can just walk up to Galaga and it is what it is. You know, you it's once you get that, once you die, you're done and that's it and that's your score and that that's pretty awesome to me. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's why those will always be like the ones. Like the legacy games, as Walter calls them, you know. Yeah, the closest you're going to get to feeling that is like Atari 2600 games, because those are majority score based, just like the arcades were. Yeah, and and that's where I I see like part of what Walter was saying with the consoles going to develop its own legacy. 
But I don't think it's going to be every console game, just like I don't think every arcade game is going to have that. I think you're going to have your handful of games, just like you have your handful of arcade games that are the go-to, I said a world record in Donkey Kong, just like in Nintendo, your handful of games like Tetris. Yep. You're gonna. Ha- I think that's exactly how the world record is going to um is going to mold as gaming evolves. Um, well, the reason the reason the legacy games are the legacy games is because of the quality of the game, the quality absolutely. of the gameplay. And when you get into, the, I mean, I mean, how iconic and how how fundamental in terms of how fundamental in terms of a game design plays like you know Tetris, the Centipede, the Millipede, the Donkey Kong, Tempest, Frogger, all the Galaga, all the all the legendary building the, the building blocks of, of of game game theory, you know, almost. And essentially, the there'll be a time when more and more attention will be directed, more and more acclaim will be directed at people who hold high score records. So therefore, there'll be, I think there'll be a large herd of people trying to win as much prestige as possible over the next 20, 30 years. And they'll be out there, it'll be exactly like the Oklahoma land rush. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. In, in no. 1889, when yep. they opened up Oklahoma Territory, everybody lined <laughs> up on the border. And one morning they shot a gun off. And tens of thousands of people rushed across the border to make their to claim stake, on a piece of land. Stake on a piece of free land. Wow. So, in other words, there's thousands upon thousands of uh, world record titles that are unclaimed out there. And there's going to be the Oklahoma uh, high score land rush eventually. Where oh. A huge herd of people are going to be because of what what because of what sociological dynamics of that moment are going to be in play. They're going to be out there, you know, trying to scoop up as many records as they can. And I think I think eventually there'll be a, uh, some sort of record for everything. But the games that are better and more important and more challenging, those are the ones like filings around a magnet that the real gamers will rally around. And you'll find one game. That is truly competitive with a lot more prestige than have the world record. That'll have like 75 world records on it. I mean, in this Twin Galaxy database, we had a we had a Twilight Zone pinball. Mm-hmm. We had that to the 1,000th place. <laughs> wow. If I remember, this, this is, is back, when I was running, back when I was running it years ago. If I remember right, we had over a thousand places on. That's a thousand different people, in other words, because we wouldn't have two scores for the same person. Right. Yep. So a thousand. I'm, pre- I'm sure, if I remember correctly, it was a thousandth place. There were lots of other pinball games, which was two or three hundred places, four hundred places. So, so like metal filings attracted to a you know magnet, there'll be games that'll just automatically be the place, you know, the the the, the place. The place of challenge, the arena that the top champions will go to meet and play on certain games. Whereas other things, uh, the people who are less skilled will go there just so they can say they have a world record. And then another person will come and take it away from them. So that eventually the people who are there just here for world records will, will kind of inch the score up a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. But it will never true become, it'll never become like a, like a, what word am I looking for? It'll never become a Cadillac score. You know, just yeah. a tremendous distinguished score because the true, true top skilled people aren't going to those games because they're, from their perspective, their games are lame or, or not valuable enough as an accomplishment. Because mm-hmm. they're in a whole different world. <laughs> yeah. And it, it yeah. seems like all the Cadillac 
video games, whether they be arcade or console, all have something similar in common, and it's that they all have a simple outline to them, like run and jump over certain barrels and get to the top of the screen, but then they have the massive complexity to master. So All of them do. So the best way to say yeah. it, you learn it in a second, it takes a lifetime to master. Exactly. Okay, well, yep. let, me throw the, let me throw this perspective out. I actually wrote this as an editorial for USA Today on De- December 23rd, 1982, before any of you guys were born. I was, I was alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So here's what it was. As I pointed out that video game players were like scientists because the scientists in the lab, through experimentation after experimentation, would slowly uncover the laws of nature that are in operation in our world. In the laboratory, they'd identify laws of nature that are in action in our world. In the same way, a video game player would put a quarter in a game and then he'd die real fast. But in the process of dying, he would have learned something. Mm -hmm. He would have learned to stay away from something or he'd learn to go this way or that way, something. So through experimentation after experimentation, meaning quarter after quarter, he would learn more and more and more about that cyberspace environment that universe, that cyberspace universe that he was attempting a quarter at a time to operate within by learning the rules of that universe. And as he learned more and more about the behavioral patterns and the laws and forces of that universe, he got better and better and better. The game would last longer and longer and longer. And then the level of knowledge that he reached would be determined and portrayed in terms of a score. And so in the same way a scientist through, through very, an educated process of, uh, you know, experimentation after experiment, he will learn more and more and more the basic rules that underline matter, underlie the, the energetic forces or the gravity or whatever. And he would learn more and more and more through experimentation in the same way that a video game player is doing experiment after experiment after experiment with quarter after quarter after quarter. So the game players of today, the headline said, was I think it's so the game players of today are the scientists of tomorrow, something like that. So, well so now, and, and this leads up to the second point I want to make, is that the ancient classic games, well, first of all, lot and lots of new games, you can learn everything about the game and get the gist of it pretty darn fast, and then you're right. Then it's a question of executing it. But a lot of the games can get executed pretty well, pretty fast today, uh, like some of these games that'll have team players. I mean, within a short time, they max out the skill level on it and they know the game completely and they're at the top of their line and it's just a question of executing. But the level of complexity of the old games is so deep with so many layers that even now today, after 34 years of a game being out there, people will learn something new or a new way to handle this or handle that or a new path to take or something new that shows that there's further layers, further levels of knowledge that can still be gained because there were so many levels of knowledge that was built in to most or, most or many of these games back from the golden age because they didn't have fancy, fancy graphics and fancy, fancy dynamics. So it completely had to be based on the fundamental structure of the gameplay. And so 
that's what they focused on, and the gameplay's great in so many of these games. Still challenging and invigorating and fascinating. And, and you know, when you go to an arcade event, you'll see the, the children or the grandchildren or the old arcade people there completely amazed by these old games, really getting into these coin-operated games. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. And there's always one more layer of the onion to peel back in these classic games. Oh, yeah, Onion Attack. I love that game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Classic. So, so Walker, if you had to pick any game, because the thing is, is that we do what's called bullshit homework, and basically allows us to play a you're, you're game. You're talking about gem. the BSH show. What was that? <laughs> what was that? You're talking about the BSH show. <laughs> More or less. Pretty much. <laughs> Okay. But um, but basically we do this thing called homework every two weeks, and this week um we always give our guest speakers our the, our guests on the show the choice to choose a gaming gem for us to play for two weeks. Well, what's the what's the uh what's the realm? Does it have to be a console or can be meme? Like what if you it guys fool, what if you guys fooled around with make tracks and then reported to me how you did? Ooh, there we go. All right. We can absolutely do that. Uh, yes. Basically, the only requirement that. is that we all have to be able to play it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, fortunately, I think you only find that a meme, I think. Yeah, because fortunately, I made Kyle a meme box inside of an Xbox. I got so make tracks. He should have make tracks. If he doesn't, then it's going to be scrounged for Kevin and Kyle to, to get that on the Xbox because it supports it for sure. <laughs> nice. That, that'll be interesting. Yeah, because I, I definitely uh, so so make tracks is our um our homework from the legendary Walter J. Okay, so when do you guys have to show what you got? Um, so basically, what we're gonna do is from as soon as we finish the podcast tonight until two weeks from now, we're gonna play that game as our focus. Um, okay. We we also have a season game that we're playing, which is like a longer role playing game. We're playing Chrono Trigger. <laughs> For the Super Nintendo, that game is like a hundred-hour game. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big giant storybook experience of a game. Um, oh, trigger. Yeah, and but we also have our gems that we're playing every two weeks. So basically, um, what we do is we're going to focus on this game solely, and then next week when we have our podcast, we'll talk about. Um, we'll do our podcast, have a subject that we talk about, and we'll. Like basically give like a little update of what we've done, and then the week after is when we do our thorough analysis of the game, what we thought of it, we break down all the mechanics, every little secret we found, every technique, tactic, everything, as much as we possibly can in two weeks of focusing. <laughs> okay. Um, now with a classic, this is going to be our first arcade game. So with a classic arcade game that people have probably played, as you said, a lifetime and still don't know everything about it going to be a very it's going to be a challenge for sure and i think what we'll do is also report how our scores are maybe we'll do like a little competition to get the best score over the next two weeks as well well here's a little historical anecdote at the time that i became the 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 world record holder on make tracks back in you know april may uh june 1982 i called williams electronics to act because they made the game to ask them uh if my scores were good, and they said, "Oh, your scores are great, higher than higher than we've seen," and then they told me that they 
they were very sad about make tracks because they inside the company had thought make tracks were so good that they thought it was going to be their Pac-Man. And they were, they were kind of, they were kind of angry at, to at someone who was in charge of marketing because they felt that that person had blown it, who had mishandled make tracks. And because of their mishandling of make tracks, they never had, never realized its potential to be the next Pac-Man. Oof. And I thought that's interesting because of course make tracks is a fun game and a hard game and a grossing game, but it doesn't have the glamour or the legs of Pac-Man. And so it's interesting that they thought that. But this is something directly they said to me on the phone, so I know this is a true anecdote. Nice. Yeah, because cause Make Tracks is a, um, just like you were saying, it is definitely a, a maze game. Um, and, like, do you have a good um, description of the game for the, the podcast listening audience? I mean, I could read it off of Wikipedia, but I would rather hear it from Walter Day. Oh, well, it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a maze with tunnels, mm-hmm. just like Pac-Man was a maze with tunnels. And you have, you, you are, your, your controlling element on the screen is a paintbrush painting these pathways. And there's these two things that sort of look like goldfish, but they're supposed to be rags dipped in turpentine. time. And they're trying to go and catch you. They're the, they're like the ghosts in Pac-Man. They're trying to catch you. When they touch you, they, uh, uh you die. You have four men total. I guess you, I guess the thing can be adjusted to five men, six men total, but commonly you would play four men total, three, and then a fourth one. And uh, you go through the passageways, and when you paint the whole screen up, all the passageways on that screen, uh, you advance to the next screen. The next screen will be a different color paint, and, and also there's an enemy. And I know there's there's also a distraction will come out on each screen. The first one is a cat leaving footprints all over your painted area, and you got to go over it, repaint it. And once you've repainted everything while avoiding the two rags that have been dipped in turpentine, then you go to the next screen and the next screen and the next screen and the next screen. And so it's actually a really hard game, but it can be mastered to some degree. Nice. So, so it, Walter, what's what's hilarious, though, is if we would have went and read the Wikipedia, it, it, the Wikipedia is completely inaccurate. It's hilarious how inaccurate. It actually says not rags dipped in in turpentine, it actually says you're being chased by fish. Okay, well, well, yeah, because they look like fish. That's what, I'm yeah. doing. That's what I learned firsthand decades ago. Exactly. <laughs> That's why it's hilarious that, like, how wrong Wikipedia is in certain aspects and why you can't use Wikipedia as a true source. That's why I wanted you to give your explanation, because you are the subject matter expert with this game. Yeah, because anyone can edit that, yeah. That's yeah, thing. so that's that's like hilarious to me that like like if I would have just read it, I'd have been like, "Yep, yeah, you're getting pursued by fish." True, because everyone takes that as like you know, as gospel, nowadays. you know. Yeah, that's the thing, and that's that's where it's hilarious how the internet works, and that a true player of the game would would know that you're you're painting, and it makes sense that you're being chased by rags dipped in turpentine, like, and it's yeah. trying to. Because whenever I paint, whenever I painted years ago, I never had fish there in the room. Right, you know. Well, I mean, I'm always pursued by fish, depending on what I'm on. But <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> now, Walter, did you prefer um, when you played it? Did you play it on a normal upright um, arcade, or did you play it on a cocktail style? Uh, I don't know if I've ever played it on a cocktail. I bet those were because, like, Jap- Japan was huge. On cocktail gaming uh, back yeah, in the eighties, so I, right. I bet it was never released out here because only the top tier games were released on cocktails in the states. 
I don't know if Mick Tracks ever went to Japan because it was a Williams invention, I think. Um, Unless, I mean, on Wikipedia, it shows a Japanese publisher, but I'm not sure oh, okay. how prominent it was either, though. Okay, I, now now that you do, you're jogging my memory, I think you're completely right. I forgot that. Yeah, I mean, yes. I'm just citing That's Wikipedia, good. though. It could be inaccurate. Is, is it Namco <laughs> or Namco? Um, is there separate uh, uh, world records if it's stand-up or cocktail? Like, this is the stand-up version world record versus cocktail? Because you're at a different kind of angle. The, the only well, time they change that is if there's gameplay differences or screen differences. Yeah. Okay, so it's not the mechanical whether you're at a cocktail or having to stand on a stand-up or something. Mm-hmm. Well, they would they would merge those together. They wouldn't separate. Okay. Um, and, it, and the answer to your question is it was uh, published by Williams in the States, Walter. Okay, so it was a Japanese, okay, so it was a Japanese imprint, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, um, it says Alpha Denshi would develop the game. Okay. Um, another anecdote is actually there is a release for the Nintendo Famicom, the Japanese Nintendo, and a Neo Geo Pocket Color version as well. So that's wow. very interesting. So there is a Nintendo version as well. So, uh, what we generally like to do with our homework as well is we do our homework well. If there's other versions and we have the ability to play them, we try to play those versions too. Um, just so we can make comparisons and how they've changed the mechanics or if it's, you know, controls a little different. Like, we like to jump into nuances as much as we can with these games. So, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, um, you know, if Kevin or Kyle has an ability to play a Neo Geo Pocket Color, but I'll have to see I'm how much the actual game is because I do have a Neo Geo Pocket Color um, but that one is a pretty obscure system and I'm assuming it was only released in Japan on the Pocket Color it's a handheld um, gem that's for sure yeah it's called Crush yeah. Roller in Japan okay right, um, right. And, and the Famicom version uh, was called Brush Roller and it was not licensed in Japan so that's interesting so, yeah, there's like two different... It was actually included in the Caltron 6-in-1 as Bookie Man. And Kyle does have a Caltron 6-in-1, which is an extremely rare, expensive cart, Walter. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yeah, it was yep. hacked. So I'm not sure how... And we'll have to compare it, because the thing is, is the um, when we do the homework, that our main focus is going to be the arcade version. But then you will try to delve into the other ones. Like, for um, example, with Castlevania Dracula Toronto of Blood, it was released... We played it on the PC engine, which is the Japanese TurboGrafx-16, obscure 16-bit console, 8-bit, 16-bit. Um, it was also released for the Super Nintendo. It was released for the PlayStation Portable. Um, and we played it on all different realms to try to get a grasp on all the differences. So, Wow. Yeah. And we will do the same with Matrix. And, and what's great, too, Walter, is actually you're going to get an update next week because I'm going to see you in person. That's right. So yeah. I'll be able to update you on my progress in Matrix and how I'm doing. <laughs> so that'll be awesome. It'll be good to see you. Oh, absolutely. It's been too long, Walter. It's been too long. Yep. It's been since August, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yep. it'll be great to see you guys. Absolutely. Well, I should, I should head out. I should head out now. Okay, I Walter. I have to accomplish some things before I go to sleep here. But you guys are great. So we, uh, I think we talked. I think we talked for an hour and 15 minutes, so I think that was good, wasn't it? That was oh, fantastic. That was, was awesome. awesome Thank you so much, Walter. We, we loved having you, all you on. Time. Thank we you for having me on the show. I hope I get to meet all of you at some event. Maybe all of okay. you can come to the uh, the August thing, and uh, 
uh, you know, Fairfield, you know, Icon. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like the Icon. The other uh, big event that I know I'm planning on going to is the Kong Off this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know we're going to definitely go there. Now, whether or not I'm going to be participating, probably not at that level. So, <laughs> but I will go there and, and enjoy all the, um, the stories. I know we're talking, I was talking with, um, George Lutz about doing a parking lot, um, camp out and drunken stories and all that. Polybius style. <laughs> well, that's so that funny. Should fun. That should be fun. <laughs> you but guys no, are great. It was so, great. Maybe, so are you, Walter. Yeah, so maybe, we'll, maybe, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk in two weeks and we'll do the Make Track show. Oh. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> All right, Walter. Uh, you have a good one, man. Thanks for coming Good night, you guys. Nice Thank meeting you. you. Take it easy, Walter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye, Kev. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye Kyle. Bye, Jeff. See Bye-bye, Walter. <laughs> All right, so that right there was the legendary... Twin Galaxies head referee Walter J. He is such a unique, awesome individual that, like, once you get in there, he just overflows you, overwhelms you with information. It's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's like, like I was telling Kyle before, like, every time I talk with Walter, it's like we have hour long conversations on classicness. And he didn't even delve into any of the crazy stories. Like, <laughs> It's awesome. 